Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Houston, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets Podcast. It's H-Town Hoops, hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. That's right. It is the H-Town Hoops Podcast. I am Brandon Scott here with Adam Spillane. Austin Mendez is handling things for us behind the scenes. And we are coming to you off of a Rockets six-game homestand. I think we were close to the middle of it the last time that we talked, but... Rockets went three and three in that homestand. In between there, they won three straight games. And coming up, they've got back-to-back games against the Memphis Grizzlies. And the headline there is really less about the Rockets. They're they're more so, Adam, here, and it's the first thing I want to get into. They're more so really a footnote in this larger story about Ja Morant. And it's just more so coincidence how the calendar falls and the timing of everything with Ja Morant but they are going to be the first team that he faces or that the Grizzlies face with him returning from this uh, both, I guess you would call it both a suspension and a leave because he was kind of sent away or went away before there was an actual official suspension levied against him for these, I guess we'll just call them off, off the court behaviors, antics. I don't know. I, I want to be sensitive to it because he's, you know, there, there's a situation there, so I don't I don't want to like be flipping about it, but but the the Rockets are gonna be more so in the in the middle of this and a young team obviously been playing well recently. What first of all, what do you make of sort of this Ja Morant story at large and, and then how the Rockets sort of fit into it this week uh when they face them? Yeah, I don't know what to make of the whole Morant story. Um it, it's a weird it's just a weird thing because everything that you heard about him when he was in college and even when you know, his first couple of years in the NBA was just, he's, he's a great person. And, you know, for, I guess it's, it's hard for me to sit here and try to put myself in his shoes because he is ultra, ultra famous. And I don't think any of us know what that's like. So I, I don't, that that's what makes this, it's a very difficult thing to try and talk about because I don't know what it's like to be in his shoes. I don't know what it's like to have that sort of pressure on him. I don't know what it's like to whenever you are um, anywhere in public, there's eyes all over you. I I don't know what that's like. So I I think that it's hard, I think, for some people to deal with, especially when they haven't dealt with it before. 
And I think what makes his situation a little bit, I don't know if complicated is the right word, but he wasn't one of these guys who, when he was in high school, he was the super famous high school guy. Uh, and he was a guy who was under-recruited. You know, he, he didn't get all the offers. He wasn't all over Instagram. And, you know, he wasn't one of the top recruits coming out of high school. He was from a small town in South Carolina. He wound up going to Murray State. You know, there, there weren't a lot of offers for him uh, when, when he was coming out of high school. And he went to college for two years, too. That's the other thing. A lot of these guys, they 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 get these huge followings online. They go to college for the one year. Now they some of them, they go to the G League, and then you go straight to the NBA. He went to college for two years. And that that's kind of shows you how, I guess, underappreciated he was when he was coming up. And then all of a sudden, you blow up in college, and then you blow up in the NBA, and then just – from it, it, I bet for him it feels like overnight to where he was a nobody. Nobody knew who the guy was, and now he's one of the most famous people on the planet. And it happens within what a two, three year span. I, I think that's probably really tough to to try and maneuver, if especially for a kid who's twenty three years old. So I, I, I'm I'm careful to to judge because I just don't know what that's like, and I think that some guys probably handle it better than others. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point that you bring up about how quickly things came to him or for him, because I didn't I, I hadn't considered that in all of this. He did kind of seem to come out of nowhere, like just all of a sudden you look up at Murray State and here's this kid, John ja Morant, this skinny guard who's lightning quick and super athletic and looks like somebody that you should have heard of before Murray State or or, or like he should be somewhere other than Murray State. And then, you know, obviously he's had the career he's had so far in the NBA. For me, though, I, I also look at it in terms of like when you talk about the fame and like the being ultra famous and us not being able to really put ourselves in his shoes. I mean, 100% agree with that. But at the same time, it's it's why it's such a big deal because of the influence and the reach that John Morant has. Like the we talk about how quickly it came to him, but I mean, he is ultra famous now and has a, a like a very large influence and following um, amongst the, the NBA's young uh, fan base, you know. And so I, I think that the league is super, rightfully super image conscious about a, a, someone like John Morant. And you just can't have this imagery, you know, like this, 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 uh, sort of paper trail of Ja Morant having incidents or moments that with with firearms or like these tenuous situations with firearms you know like it's a it's one of those things where it, it seems like it, it was necessary to kind of nip this thing in the bud and to kind of get Ja whatever help he may need and I'm not going to pretend to know like personally what he's going through or what exactly it is that that he needs but whatever it is it seems like it's like this is a this is the perfect time before things got out of hand i guess is what i'm trying to say like this could have easily been like a more tragic type of situation where you're like talking about you know something more serious than just being on instagram or having a run-in you know being on instagram with a gun or having a run-in with a kid uh, at your house or having a, a situation at the mall with your parent, you know, things like that. These sort of innocuous situations, a, co a collection of them, you figure, okay, we want to nip this in the bud both for image purposes because of what John Morant represents for the league, but also for his own sake, because he's so young 
and you know you you kind of want to you want to make sure that if it, that if something's going wrong if he's if he, if there's any kind of waywardness at all that you that you get there as early and, and as soon as possible but uh, on the basketball side though adam what do you think like how do you suspect this this impacts ja like this disruption in in rhythm because he's playing well you know uh it, it certainly you know early in the season how do you feel like this disrupts sort of his rhythm as a player and then also the grizzlies you know who were at one point you know in the running to be the second seed the number two seed in the in the west and things are sort of just kind of unraveled for them a little bit with this job thing yeah so it, it's going to be close to three weeks since he last played in a game uh i don't know what he's been doing in terms of basketball since um so I guess we'll have to wait and see. I, I know he's been ramping up, I guess, the last few days. So I, I imagine there will be some rust. I imagine he'll be on some sort of a minute restriction, at least for Wednesday. We'll have to see Friday if, if maybe uh, they let him, you know, go full go. So I don't know what to expect, you know, just in terms of from a basketball sense from him. The Grizzlies as a team, it, it's been a struggle. And um, obviously they, they've just, they haven't been healthy and they've been without Steven Adams for a while. Uh, then they lose Brandon Clark. And really what made that team, among, I mean, along with Morant, but what made that team just so good was just they, they played so physical and and they would just destroy you on the offensive glass. They would destroy you at the rim and they just don't really have that anymore. So it, uh, I think the Brandon Clark injury has probably been a lot more devastating to that team than I think people thought it would. And the same thing with, with Steven Adams. You know, I think that at least when it comes to postseason, I think a lot of people – kind of would think that Steven Adams would be a bit of a liability. And even you go back to last year's playoffs, they weren't playing him very much once they did get to the postseason, not just against the Warriors, but also against the Wolves in that first round series. But, you know, I do think over the course of an 82 game regular season, you need guys like him and they, they, they just don't have a way of replacing him. So it's been, I thought they probably would have been the favorites to win the West, but now just the fact that they aren't healthy and, who knows what's going on with Morant at this point? Uh, it kind of feels like uh, they're, at least for this season, they're not in a, in a great place. Do you think that this is a game we talked about in the previous episode about the Rockets getting up for it? It might have been the previous episode, the one before that, but about them getting up for games, getting up for certain opponents and certain matchups that, that matter or are important to them or they might be considered marquee matchups for them. Anytime they play against Ja Moran or the, you know, against the Grizzlies, I feel like that's one of those games. The Grizzlies are one of those teams and Ja is one of those players that they probably like to match up against and measure themselves against. Do, do you feel like this is a game where, especially considering how, how they've played and we'll get into that in a little bit, how, you know, how they played in that six game homestand. Do you feel like this is one where, the Rockets are aware of sort of the spotlight that they might be in and the, and the opportunity to show what they've kind of been working on or what they've been doing over these, these last several games or so. Uh, I don't know if this one would have any more than, than say, you know, the last game against the Warriors or, you know, a couple of games before that when, when it was Boston. I, I think that 
certainly they will be under a spotlight tomorrow. Like you said, they, they will be second fiddle. They they will not even be like the second story tomorrow. It'll be about Morant and then it'll be about the Grizzlies. But I do think that they will probably get up for this game and they'll be up for this game because it's the Grizzlies. And it seems like everybody wants to beat the Grizzlies. And they just kind of bring that out in opponents. And I do think Jalen Green especially, and I go back to the game that he had against them uh, in October, October 21st. It was the Rockets' first game of the year. And it was Jalen and Morant kind of just going back and forth. And, and Morant finished that game with 49. Uh, Green wound up scoring 33. But, but I asked Green, like, hey, when you're going back and forth with Morant like that, do you feel like, are you already feeling like you're on that level? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, he's in year four, I'm in year two, but I feel like I'm going to be right there. So I, I do think it's a good measuring stick for at least uh, for, for Green of where he feels like he is as a player. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus all right, so let's talk about this homestand. They went three and three, beat the Celtics, beat the Lakers, beat the Pelicans. Uh, we talked, uh, I think the last time we talked was right after they'd beaten the Celtics and uh, and they'd lost to the Bulls right before that, but they'd beaten the Celtics. And then since then, they've beaten the, the Lakers, like I mentioned, beat the Pelicans, lost to the Pelicans. Uh, obviously, the, the, the Pelicans' win was the big one probably because of the Jabari shot. Um, and, of course, we were just mentioning earlier how they just lost to the Warriors most recently. But you've got – I want to get your takeaways from the six-game homestand, what we learned from them. The The big thing is that shot from Jabari, that moment against the Pelicans, um, and they're in the, the retro or city edition uniforms that I like a lot. Um, and and the, the other story to me, they beat the Lakers in the game before that, and we're, we're talking about them being an ancillary story with the John Morant thing. But they were also, to me, a second fiddle story in that game, too, in winning against the Lakers because I thought it was a big deal. And I know we're in the age of load management and Anthony Davis has hurt a lot. But I thought it was a big deal that the Lakers rested Anthony Davis in that game. And, and they pretty much have to have every game at this point or they're in a situation now where, where you're fighting for a play in spot or fighting for a playoff spot where I feel like, all the games matter. You're de facto in the playoffs already. And him not playing in that game and the and the Rockets winning, I thought was kind of a uh kind of a big deal and an and an underrated storyline if you're looking at it from a Rockets perspective. But that that kept standing out to me, like how the Lakers lost this game without playing Anthony Davis uh against a against a Rockets team that maybe they could have beaten with Anthony Davis. But but what were your some of your key takeaways from this six game homestand and how they how they performed over that stretch? 
I think the big thing is Jabari Smith looks like a real player. And yeah. I think that there, I'm, I'm not, you know, I think that there were a lot of people down on him for a really a good portion of the season. And, you know, the numbers were not good and the eye test wasn't good either for a lot of it, but you're seeing him now and he just looks different on both ends of the floor. He's confident. Uh, he's always been, you know, I, I do think one of the skills that has kind of been lost on, what he's done this season has been the rebounding, but I mean, he's now really taking that up a notch. He's shooting the ball a whole lot better. I think he's kind of understanding, you know, where he can excel on the floor, which spots that he can really excel at. I think his teammates are starting to figure out how they can get him the ball in better spots. Uh, you saw him even make plays, you know, he threw up a lob to KJ Martin in last night's game, which probably not the smartest pass in the world, but I think he understood that it's KJ Martin. He can go up and get it. You know, if it's somebody else, I'm probably not going to throw that pass, but if it's KJ, I can go ahead and be aggressive with that. So I think that he's starting to understand his teammates a little bit better. So I, I think all around uh, this last six game stretch, I think you have to be very happy with what you've seen out of Jabari Smith. And he is looking like someone who uh, I, he's not going to be in the rookie of the year conversation. I think that's, you know, long gone, but I do think that he's got a chance to at least make one of the all rookie teams, which, you know, two, three weeks ago, I don't think he would have been in that conversation. Yeah, no, d definitely. Jabari Smith. I, I thought that something that stood out to me about the last several games were the, the, the top two rookies. I mean, Jabari mainly, and then Tar Eason for me is just, confirming or reaffirming what I already believe about him as being like a a vital role piece potential piece role piece off of your bench somebody that I mean who knows if he's the seventh eighth or ninth guy off your bench or whatever it may be once you're good but somebody that you want on your team similar to a Jay Sean Tate in a way where you're like hey this guy isn't really special at anything more so than just like his availability and his energy and his attitude and all of that. Like, I just feel like he's one of those players. But to your point about Jabari, man, you couldn't be any, like, more accurate on the point of, hey, like, the the position on him and the, the, the view of him has changed dramatically because the idea was, hey, Jabari might be a good player, but he doesn't look like a number three overall pick. That's That, to me, has been the feeling for most of the year is – Hey, he's got some skills. He, he he'll play in the NBA, sure, but he doesn't look like a number three overall pick, a guy that you might build a team around or might be a cornerstone piece. And over the last couple of weeks or so, he's definitely looked like that. You you now see exactly what sort of the vision was or what the idea was when he was in the conversation for being the top overall, you know, the the overall pick, uh, and, and certainly being the number three pick to to Houston. So. Totally agree that the that the outlook on him seems to have changed in a very short amount of time. And it's important. Anyone who starts making declarations about a player four months into their rookie season, just ignore it. Like in all honesty, there is nothing just more reactionary than saying, Well, so and so is a bust after four months, because you don't know. You can't you can't make that declaration. There isn't enough intel to make that sort of a declaration and you see guys doing the redrafts or whatever. It's just, I, I know people are starved for content, but sometimes we need to pump the brakes on this sort of stuff because it, it's just so premature on any of this. And I, I think they all, they always tell you, you can't really judge a draft class until like three years. Now we're, we've gotten to the point where we just judge draft class after three months. And that kind of, Oh no, it. by game. No, no, no. Game by game. 
Yeah. Game by game, Adam. Do we like, read, are, are we, I think next year we'll just start redrafting after every single game. That kind yeah. of feels like the direction that we're headed. But I do want to bring up something with Eason because I do think that we need to bring him up. And you already did. I think he's got a chance to maybe be first team all rookie just with the way that he's played this season. But he, one of the areas of improvement with him, and this is something that you've been on throughout the season about him on the fast break. And he had a he had a two on one. I think it was in the second quarter last night. It was a two on one, and Draymond Green is back there. And no one is better at just busting up a two on fat two on one fast break than Draymond Green. And Tari just kept it simple. He just exploded to the rim and threw down a one handed dunk over Draymond Green. He didn't try to do too much. He didn't try to get cute with it. He just did the simple. He just made the simple play, and it turned into an easy bucket. I think a couple months ago. He maybe tries to pass that off. Maybe he tries a reverse layup or something that probably would not have gone well. But yesterday he just went in for the dunk. So a good step in the right direction for him. And again, it's showing just his growth. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I joke about that because like, I, I just, I like watching him play a lot, but you know, for the exact reason that you mentioned, man, like a couple of months ago, you know, when I see him on the fast break, I'm just nervous because he's not a doesn't feel like a great and instinctive or skilled passer necessarily. And it's just awkward and clumsy. But the effort is 100 percent there. So, you know, it's going to be like all out. But you're like, uh, I, I don't I'm not really sure where this is going. But on the point that you made about not judging players too early in their careers or too early on in their rookie year. Right. I just think, and this is not to pat this podcast on the back, but one thing I like about what we try to do and what I want to continue to try to do is like be able to live in the moment and speak truth about what you're seeing in real time and to be honest about it without overreacting and overstating what it is that you're seeing. Because it feels like whenever we do real time, and I say we, I'm not talking about you and I necessarily, but like the collective we, okay? Whenever real-time analysis is done, there seems to be like this inclination to overstate or, or make like some sweeping declaration about something that you can't really make a sweeping declaration about. You can just say, hey, this was bad. You know, like you can say like right like right now I can say Tari Eason is not a good passer or I can say Jabari Smith's is not shooting, you know, I could have said Jabari Smith wasn't shooting well or Jalen Green is not playing efficiently. But when we make a de- declaration of, well, Jalen Green can never be a number one or Jabari Smith isn't worth the number three pick, you know, it's like, okay, well, that's taking a, a leap that's just beyond unnecessary, <laughs> just to, that we don't have to do just to have a conversation, you know. So that that that's one of the things that I want to kind of continue to do is to have like level-headed conversations that are still honest about what we're seeing. You know, you know, like that, like it feels like there's a struggle to balance that sometimes. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with you 100. I mean, we, we fire coaches after every game now, it seems like. So yeah, I kind of agree with you that we maybe people need to take a breath sometimes with a lot of this stuff because these seasons are long, these careers are long and you're not going to make, you know, one game isn't going to, make an entire season it's not going to make an entire career like i I remember last year um jalen green sat out crunch time a couple times and people are all up in arms oh it's development it's development relax jalen green if jalen green doesn't meet his potential it's not going to be because he was benched for crunch time in one game in january of his rookie season It, it does not really matter a lot of times so 
I, I think that we we want like the instant gratification on this stuff. You know, it's it's just kind of the 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 internet culture, I guess, and and that's what people want. But that's not how development works. It's not how the league works. It's not how it's not how anything works. You yeah. know, this, this stuff takes time. You have to let it you know, happen. And I, I think that people want to see the results just right away. And, and in, in Jabari Smith's case, it's just one of those things too, where the guy picked number one in that draft is Paolo Bancaro and he's NBA ready in playing at an incredibly high level as a rookie, but every, everybody's different. Every, everybody matures differently. Everybody's on a different timeline. So, you know, development isn't necessarily linear. Everyone develops at a different pace. And sometimes you just have to be a little bit more patient with it than sometimes people are willing to give. Yeah, and I can fall, I can fall into the trap of the instant gratification culture. I'll admit, and for me, this is just honest, honestly, it was that stretch of time. And this goes back to the takeaways from like what we've learned from them in this six-game homestand. One of the things that I would say, major beyond just Jabari Smith specifically and, and Tari Eason, who I mentioned, who we both mentioned, but overall as a team. They're playing harder or, or or played harder, I felt like, throughout this six-game stretch, even in the games that they lost. Um, they do some maddening things on the floor, but I felt like the effort was there, and we've had a lot of conversations about the effort and just at times being lacking and being inexcusable. And those were the times, Adam, when I was kind of like jumping ship on what this whole thing was. I'm like, man, I don't know about this thing. These guys aren't even out there trying. Which, you know, that is something I think that you can fairly maybe overreact to when you look up and you're like, okay, it's not just that they're playing bad basketball, but, you know, you know, like the plays that you and I point out when somebody just marches straight down the court, no one stops the ball. And this is an NBA game and someone goes straight to the basket on a fast break. You know, no one stops ball from three quarters court. So uh, so those are moments where I think it is easy to fall into those traps. But um, but 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 certainly you want to kind of be patient and be a little bit more measured with your analysis. I, I want to ask you before we move on to. Well, this, it, it does yeah. just on that really quick. It, yeah. it does feel like the Portland game when Lillard scored whatever 70, 71 against them. It, it yeah. does feel like maybe that was a little bit of a turning point and that might have been a wake up call and. You know, I, it's one of those things that kind of hit me as I was leaving the arena yesterday. And now, of course, uh, I can't ask about it for another week and a half because they're on the road for a while. Right. But it, it does feel like that maybe that was a turning point because actually since the All-Star break, they're 18th in defensive rating. And, you know, they were 29th or 30th, whatever they were. Maybe they were in between 28th and 30th uh, before the All-Star break. So so to see them at 18th and, and they're playing, you know, decent teams. I know there were a couple of games against the Spurs in there. But you play Boston, they played Memphis, they played Denver uh, during that stretch. I mean, those are decent teams. Obviously, those are really good teams, actually. And they've been able to hold their own uh, defensively against them. So I do think that just as a team, and, and Tari Eason said this last night, where they're buying in more now than they were before. So I do think that that's a nice step in the right direction for them, just to see the defense not be you know, a complete disaster. Adam, I know we've talked about the return of Kevin Porter Jr. being just so essential for this team and how it operates. But I, I wonder if it's enough, if like that's enough to explain it. And, and before we talk about the road stretch that they've got coming up, I wanted to ask you about Steven Silas because like we, none of us expect him to be back. His, his contract's expiring. 
they're more than likely moving on. We already understand that. But since there has been so much conversation about his performance as a coach over the last few years, and specifically, I feel like this year, as things have kind of just spiraled, I wonder if you've seen anything or if you've noticed anything, because they they are trying harder. I mentioned that just a moment ago, but they also look I don't know if the effort helps them look more prepared. Like, I don't know if those things are sort of just connected, but they look they just look like a more like more like an NBA team. And I, and I don't know, I, I can't say it's anything that Silas is doing anything differently, but are you noticing it? Are you noticing anything different in how they're coached? Do they look like a better coach team to you? Or is it just more so the effort and the fact that personnel is coming together? No, I think Silas has stayed pretty consistent with them. I think that was something that he, he even brought up, um, I, I think, it, just in this last week, and how he thinks that's probably one of his strengths as a coach is that he is consistent with them. So I don't think that's changed. I, I just think that they are understanding the game a lot better than they were before. And, and Draymond Green brought this up last night. And he said he kind of overheard a conversation that um, Tari Eason and KJ Martin were having. And, and there was a, some sort of a defensive breakdown. And those two were hashing it out. And Draymond Green is listening in. And Draymond said that the stuff that they're talking about, they were on the right track. Like they had it. They had it right. It's just now they know what they're supposed to be doing. It's just now how do we execute it? And so I think that in, in the NBA, it, I think coaches always get way too much blame for everything in the league. I think it's about players. And the game goes so fast that the players are responsible for a lot of this. And you can prepare a player and you can tell a player what he's supposed to be doing on a given play or on a given, you know, on a given action or whatever but the player has to be the one to actually execute it. And when you are, when you have a roster filled with 19, 20, 21, 22 year olds, when the 22 year olds are the old guys, it's really hard as a unit to be able to execute consistently. And I think that now as you have these guys, 65 games or whatever into their rookie seasons, or they're 65 games into their second NBA seasons, or even in, in with KJ Martin in, you know, 65 games into his third NBA season, that there's just more of an understanding of what we need to do, what we are responsible for on the floor. So I don't think that that has anything to do with coaching. I think it's just more the players having a better understanding of what they're supposed to be doing. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Fair enough. We've got this road trip here. We mentioned earlier to start the show about Jabba Rant coming back. And that's going to be a major story. Uh, obviously, that first game, but both games, honestly. I mean, it's it's just a it's just much bigger than you know playing the 
one of the worst teams in the league, team fighting for its lottery position and all of that. Uh, but it's it's a it's a it's a stretch against some good teams. You know, they play Cleveland after that, they play the Knicks after that. Uh playing some pretty good teams here. What do you think can be gained for, from the Rockets or for the Rockets in this road trip? Maybe uh maybe some vital experience that they can that they can gain out of playing some of these teams here uh, in these next few games yeah you're just playing high level teams at the end of the season you're playing against teams that are going to need to win these games i don't have them i'll look at the standings real quick but you know memphis is trying to get up back on track and they have morant coming back then you look cleveland is fighting for home court you know they they have a chance right now they've got a little bit of a cushion for fourth in the East, but they've got a chance to really solidify that and maybe even move up a spot to third and be able to avoid Milwaukee in, in the first round. Uh, the Knicks in Brooklyn are trying to make sure they stay out of the play-in. Uh, Brooklyn is a half game up on Miami for six. The Knicks are three games up on Miami uh, to stay out of the play-in. So the teams that they're playing, they need to win the games. All, uh, all four teams that they're playing are very good. I mean, I, I don't know how many stretches you have where you play five straight games against teams that not only are, are in the play, are, are probably going to be top six in their conference. That, that's really, you know, that's rare to have to go through a stretch like that. So they're going to be tested. They're going to be playing against some really good defenses too. Cleveland's a great defensive team. Memphis is a great defensive team. The Knicks are very good defensively. Uh, Brooklyn has been much better defensively since they made their trades. So they will be tested offensively. And can they get good shots? Can they play the game the right way? Can they avoid the turnovers? They got a little sloppy with the basketball last night. So uh, it's just an opportunity to see where you stand in terms of the best teams in the league. That's what I think the next five games are about. We didn't mention earlier, and I, I should have. Um, we, you know, we're talking about the rookies, and and of course the John Morant story. But we did, since the last time we talked, we did get another Jalen Green forty burger. That did happen, and it was an efficient one too. So uh, I mentioned that because you talked about just now about the defenses that they're going to play and the caliber of shots that they get, their shot selection, and 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 all of that. I think that's something that I'm going to be watching out for. Something I'll be personally curious and interested in watching is Jalen Green against these good defenses where you see it. It feels like it's, I don't want to say every other night or so, but it's just not, it's not like he strings it together, you know, night in and night out, but you see the flashes you see. And and, and overall, I, I say that as a kind of sounds like a criticism, but overall it feels like he's a very much an improved player. Uh, just over the last, call it, you know, let's just call it post All Star break. Uh, that, that I feel like he's taken, at the very least, taking better shots, even when he's not making them. Um, uh, you know, even when he's struggling. So that's one of the things that I that I'm interested to see is Jalen Green versus really good playoff caliber defenses. What did you think of the night that Jalen had uh, when he had the the, the forty burger, and, and what do you think about him going against these kind of defenses? I the free throw shooting was big. Uh, just yes, the ability, the ability to get to the line that many times and uh, to be aggressive and, and to draw fouls that obviously is important when it comes to being a scorer because there are nights when the shot doesn't fall. There are nights when you won't be able, you know, when you're going to shoot, 
you know, four for 13 or whatever from the field, but you can still have a quality night because you can get to the free throw line. We saw that with James Harden for years and years and years where, you know, the shot wasn't always there, but he had the ability to get to the free throw line and that covered up for a bad shooting night. So I think that's the big thing. And we've, we've talked about his free throw shooting and how he's gotten a lot better with that this season, being able um, to get to the rim at a higher rate, being able to draw, to be able to, I guess, finish through contact would be the best way to put it. Just and part of that is just the strength that he added in the offseason. So I think that's what I took out of it. He, you know, he's he's going to have games where he shoots the ball really well because he's he's a good shooter. And so those nights are going to happen. But it's, you know, can you score 40 points on 19 shots or whatever? I think it was 19 shots or 21 shots. I mean that's 21 shots, yeah. Yeah, that that's what you know that's what elite scorers do. And he has that in him to where he can be an elite score in the league. And he showed all he did was show that off uh, against new Orleans. Um, it's funny because um, he wasn't great. The three games before that, you know, he got, he got nominated for player of the week. And I, I looked at the numbers like, wait a minute, 26 points, 39% shooting. Okay. Not, not great, but I guess you do have the 40 point game in there. So I think that's a big reason why I, that nomination would have occurred. I, I thought that if you're going to nominate a rocket for player of the week last week, it would have been Jabari Smith. Smith. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, it was Jalen Green who got the nod, and I, I guess when you score forty points, it's, that's going to happen. So uh, I think that um, he's been he's been fine. You know, we I think we said that he was probably our most disappointing player uh, at the All Star break, something like that. And you know, I think that a lot of that had to do with just the the outsized expectations that he had coming into the season. But you're yeah. starting to see him really start to put it together. But this is this is a tough stretch, as we said. You know, Cleveland. Cleveland is the number one defense in the league. A lot of that has to do with just the guys that they have at the rim with Mobley and with, uh, and uh, with Jared Allen, but then you get into Brooklyn and they got all those wings that they can throw at you. And so that's, that's, that's tough. You know, the Knicks, Knicks haven't been a great defensive team this year. They've been, you know, kind of middle of the pack. Um, Not where you would expect a Tibbs team to be, but you know, they're, they're going to make life tough on you and they're not going to, uh, you know, they're not just going to give you shots at the rim. So he's going to be challenged there. And then, you know, Memphis is the number two defense in the league. And so, again, that'll be a really big test, you know, with Jalen Green having to do that on back-to-back nights. But he's already had one good game. You know, he scored 33 against them uh, back in October. He was coming back from the injury when they played last month. So I, I think it's a, it's a good test. Yeah, with Jalen Green and Jabari Smith Jr., and I think people, it's really easy to forget how young they are, but – the big thing is just consistency because you see it athletically and you see it just the scoring creativity with Jalen green and you see it with the form in Jabari Smith and the defense, you see the potential in both of those guys. It's just a matter of consistency and having them do it night in and night out. So uh, maybe that's the big thing that you want to get out of this road trip. If you're, if you're trying to cling on to something uh, at the end of a, Maybe I don't know if you're going to call it a lost season. I don't think anybody ever expected it to be like, you know, fruitful or to win a lot of games. But uh, but I know it is the countdown at this point to, you know, to the offseason and to, you know, continuing to build the team. Uh, we got to get into this tournament talk, bad because the last time the last episode that we did was a tournament preview. And I can't lie, man, I was rooting. Part of me was rooting for picks that I didn't have the I guess the guts to actually make like Princeton Arizona I talked about that 
you know, I said, hey, man, Princeton is a team that's got at least one NBA player on it, and they're pretty good. Watch out for them. But I wouldn't say it on the podcast. And would you know in my bracket, I wouldn't pick Princeton either. I just didn't have it in me. And sure enough, Arizona goes down to Princeton. We had Purdue go down uh, as, as a number one seed. And and we talked about them. And I, I don't think we were unique in this. We talked about them being the, the weakest of the number one seeds. And sure enough, they go down to – is it Fairly Dickinson or Farley? Is it, it's Fairly. Fairly, Fairly Dickinson, right? To Fairly Dickinson, who uh, – was a, a fun a fun watch there just the the fact that they had the had the guts to to call that out uh, ahead of time against Purdue Kansas who I picked to go to the championship game uh gets knocked out by by Arkansas and so brackets are flipped up um I, I I'll say this I was also rooting for TCU to beat Gonzaga the other night because you you dismissed my idea that TCU could be a sleeper and I was right. Yeah, and, and you and you were right. And I was so desperately hoping that they could do it. And you know, that was one that I was wrong on. So uh, but what were some of your uh what were some of your favorite moments from the tournament so far? Some things that stood out to you. Uh the Farman Virginia game was terrific. Um just oh, the man. way that game ended and dude, just- what was that? What was wait, what was that kid doing, man? Because look, I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I should have mentioned that because that's that's easily for me the biggest thing, or the, the one the, the thing that stands, I won't say the biggest, but the thing that stands out the most. That kid, I can't think of his name, but earlier in the game, the broadcast pointed out because he'd been in college forever, how he was like something like you know how they got these obscure stats. He's something like the winningest player in ACC history or something like that, and he made that play, that decision. I've never seen anything like that. Well, he he also made the pass when they beat Purdue in the uh, Elite Eight in nineteen. He made the pass that extended the game. Um, he he made the pass to uh, to Diakite. Okay. And Diakite hit the uh, the uh, the shot that tied the game to send it to overtime for Virginia. And he was a freshman then; he's a senior, and he makes probably one of the bigger mistakes of the tournament. So that was one. Uh, Arizona losing um, was obviously a, a huge one, uh, just because uh, a really bad look for Tommy Lloyd, the uh, the Arizona head coach, where they just could not generate any offense in the last what. 12 minutes or so of that game. I was really surprised Kansas lost, although I, I I guess it's one of those things you should have seen coming because the line for that game was down to three and a half by tip off. And so to see a one, eight game be a three and a half line kind of shows you that there's something up with that game. Uh, but it, it kind of shows you Arkansas is really talented, but they do some dumb stuff that, that has kind of cost them uh, over the course of the regular season, the little point guard for Kansas state, um, was just terrific in the game on Sunday against Kentucky. I mean, he completely took that game over. Um, so he was really impressive. Uh, Miami was very good against Indiana. Um, just uh, they were just physical and just they they attack. And I think that's a tough matchup for U of H. I know U of H was just awesome in the second half on Saturday against Auburn. But Miami does some stuff that can give the Cougars problems just because they have a bunch of guys who can get to the rim. And that has probably been the biggest weakness of the U of H defense this season is that they have trouble uh, guarding guys who are like that. So I do think that Miami, especially if Miami rebounds the way that they did against Indiana, where they're just active, then I I do think that that can be a really tough game for U of H. And then you look at uh, Alabama 
And, you know, I, I, thought, I think that Alabama and U of H were probably the two favorites coming into this thing. And they really solidified their spots as the two favorites uh, to win this tournament. So I think that, you know, you had upsets all around, especially with the one seeds. But the two top teams that I think people expected going in are still, you know, right there, one and two. Yeah, that that's how and I only did one bracket and uh, was hesitant to even do that one. But the national champion that I have is is still in it. Uh, now, I had them beating Kansas. So Kansas, obviously, is not still in it. But national champion is still in it in Alabama. Uh, I had the Cougs in the final four um, and they're still in it. So um, so got a few of them right. But. Yeah, man, Alabama to me, you know, is interesting because they were able to, um, you know, they had a they had a weird game there where you know they're playing against a much lesser team, um, and you know it 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 Corpus, but you know Brandon Miller does nothing in that game, you know, and of course they they're able to survive a game like that, but like they. <laughs> They they look right now like the most dominant team. Like if there was a one clear it away team, it, it feels like it's them. Um, Houston, the issue is has been the health. Like the questions about the health of Marcus Sasser and then Jamal Shed. But it looks like those like you're gonna have to like drag those dudes off the off the floor. Like you know. <laughs> I can't, I can't see a scenario where they don't play if it's not like a, a drastic injury. So, um, so yeah, man, I would, I would agree with that. I think that, uh, you know, that, that Alabama right now seems to be the, the clear far and away favorite. Um, and um, yeah, and, that, and, that, and, and Brandon Miller also, even, even having as bad of a game as he had uh, in that first game still looks like, the best player in the tournament, you know, despite having such a bad, uh, such a bad first game, Kansas, I, Kansas, I kind of felt bad for Adam. I wonder because of the, because of the bill self thing, um, they didn't have their coach there, but there were some warning signs with that Kansas team. I felt like going into it all as well, like the, the losses to Texas and they just, they just didn't really feel sharp and, you know, uh, a talented team. But I don't, I don't feel like this was one of the better bit. They just happened to be one of the better teams this year amongst the college basketball landscape. But I don't feel like this is even one of the better Bill Self teams. Oh, they, they lost a lot of games by double digits, which I think was – it's one of the reasons why U of H got the uh, the Midwest number two number one seed. Uh, well, they, you know, Alabama was the top number one seed – U of H got put ahead of Kansas just because of the double digit losses. And so uh, I, I don't know if there's any like correlation to, well, if you have this many double digit losses and maybe you're not quite as good as maybe the record says, but yeah, they, they did have a bunch and they had a couple of them late in the year. Uh, it wasn't a very deep team and they just, they got a bad matchup because Arkansas, Arkansas was the top 10 team coming into the year and Eric Musselman in the tournament, he knows how to, you know, he, for whatever reason, his teams play, just all over the place in the regular season. But once you get into the tournament, they're very good. And, you know, they took out Gonzaga uh, in last year's tournament. They went to the Elite Eight um, the year before that. So they 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 always play well uh, in this tournament. Do you have a game for, from the Sweet 16 that you're looking forward to most? I'm trying to decide for me if it's between Gonzaga and UCLA has my interest. And probably after that, 
maybe Xavier, Texas, Houston, maybe it's Houston, Miami. That might actually be the one. Um, do you have a matchup that you're looking forward to most uh, in the Sweet 16? San Diego State and Alabama. San Diego okay. State knows how to muck up games. Um, they can. They are physical. They are tough. If they can get offense, it, they are very similar to Maryland, except they're just better than Maryland. And, uh, you know, Bama had a little bit of trouble with Maryland, at least in the first half. San Diego State is better. They're a lot more. They, they, they're just they're better coached. Um, it's an older team. It's a veteran team. So I do think that San Diego State can really make Alabama sweat that game out a little bit and kind of, you know, Bama wants to be very free. They want to be a free flowing type of team. And I think that San Diego State can really slow the game down against them. All right. Before we go, you're an Indiana guy. Purdue, as we mentioned, that was, too was, bad. was the first Purdue was the first number one seed to go down. But I feel like both of these teams went down in uh, less than spectacular fashion. What did you What did you think of Purdue arrival of your old school, and of course Indiana, that's probably the team that you watched the most. Uh, what did you think of of how those two teams uh, found their exits in this tournament? I mean, losing to a sixteen is as embarrassing as it gets, so. and, and the small and, and the smallest. The the size difference, Adam. Did you? I mean, did you? Was it not striking how much smaller Fairleigh Dickinson was than Purdue? And they they use it to their advantage too. That that's what makes these tournament games tough, especially when you're facing the 15 and 16 seeds, is because you're not used to playing teams like this, and they just pull out all the stops. You know, they're going to lose anyways, so they might as well get weird while losing, and that's what you kind of saw with. Uh, with, with fairly Dickinson and then it looked, just looked like the pressure got to Purdue as that game wore on and they had guys who were just flat out afraid to shoot the ball uh so you can't as as a program it's going to be a long and I give Matt Painter credit he owned it and he owned up to it he said you know we're not this is going to be with us for a long time and he's right I mean you lose to a number one you lose to a 16 seed it stays with you and Virginia it happened to Virginia Virginia came back the next year and won the national championship I don't think that's going to happen with Purdue but you never know. As for Indiana, we weren't good against Kent State. We won the game, but it just wasn't a great performance and gave up a ton of offensive rebounds. And Miami just played harder. And Miami was just better. And Miami was more physical. And Miami played with more force. And they had 20 offensive rebounds. And if you want to consider yourselves to be a serious program, you can't give up 20 offensive rebounds in an NCAA tournament game, especially when you're playing two centers on the floor almost all the time. So uh, it was a really disappointing finish to the way that season ended. But uh, Trace Jackson Davis, really good career. You know, um, Jalen Huchifino is probably going to be a top 10 pick. He was not very good in the tournament. Um, so you know, I remember I, I thought Indiana could could go on a run. I didn't think they would. I, th I thought they could, though. And part of that was you go into every game thinking that you have the two best players on the floor. Well, Trace Jackson Davis, he lived up to it. Jalen Hood Shafino did not. Last thing here. Do you do you think or does it look like Houston and Texas are on a collision course for the Elite Eight? Or should Houston fans be concerned about Miami and likewise Texas fans concerned about Xavier? I think both teams have tough matchups coming up on Friday, I believe. Is it Thursday or Friday that they play? Yeah, so it is Friday. Yes, they both yeah, play Friday. I, I, they both play 
Friday. Yes. I, I think both teams have tough matchups. I think Miami can, can, if Miami plays the way that they played against Indiana, then they have a chance to really beat U of H just because some of the things that they do well offensively is kind of the weakness for the U of H defense. And that's just getting to the rim. Um, those guards are really good. And to see their bigs healthy and playing well, the way that they did on Sunday, that, you know, that's, that's, that's going to be, that's not easy for U of H and Larry Nagy is just a great coach. Uh, Xavier, I thought was awesome against Pitt on Sunday. I thought they were really, really good. Um, they they play fast. They really are able to push the tempo, um, and they've got some guys who can really play. The two guards, Kunkel and uh, I can't remember, the guy that he got into kind of an argument with on on the floor during the the first game on Friday. Oh yeah, they almost they almost threw down. Yeah, those two are really good. Those two are really really good, and it really feels like they control the game. Uh, and Sean Miller's had some clunkers in the tournament, but he's also had some really good tournament runs, uh, mostly at Xavier. He got to the Elite Eight, I believe, at least twice with uh, with Xavier. So um, that's 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 a good game. I, Texas, to me, they they shot the lights out against Colgate in the first round. I thought that Colgate was going to win that game. I did not expect Texas to make what there were 14 three pointers, and then you saw them crash down a little bit against Penn State, where they only made the one. So which Texas team do you get? Do you get the Texas team that made 14 or do you get the Texas team that made one? If you get the Texas team that made one three, then Xavier's winning that game. Well, that but that's the beauty. That's the beauty of this Texas team is the range of possibilities, man. Like if, if, if there's one thing that I like about them is that they can win all different types of ways and all different types of games uh, with the. I mean, their whole team is basically transfers. Like, it's just a hodgepodge. And I know that's that's kind of the case with, with a lot of teams now in college basketball, college sports period. But, yeah, man, it's a it's kind of a scrappy group, man. They just get after it. They, they, they just win. I'm not going to say by any means necessary because it's not like they haven't lost. But but they win, man. It's, a, it's, a, it's complicated and simple all at the same time. But, uh, but look, man, we've got – We've got this Rockets road trip coming up here. Uh, we'll break it down. Uh, so let's do this again pretty soon. Of course, uh, talk about how things shake out in the Sweet 16 as well. Final Four is going to be in Houston. That's really exciting. Y'all check out SportsRadio610.com and any of the Odyssey stations, actually, if you want to find out more information about what's going on with the Final Four in Houston, uh, some of the activities, some of the things that are going to have both basketball and non-basketball related. There's going to be like music fest, fan fest, all kind of really cool stuff for people to do uh, around town related to the tournament, related to the Final Four. So, Adam, man, we'll be breaking down the basketball portion of this as it continues to go on. Shout out to Austin Mendez for producing this bad boy for us. We want to get you guys to subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend about it. And until next time. Y'all be good.